All right, welcome to the latest edition of Vince and Jason Save the Nation. I'm Vince Colonnais alongside the great Jason Nichols. If you like what you see here or you like what you heard so far, uh, you can subscribe to this here podcast, either anywhere podcasts are found or definitely on YouTube. If you do that, like, subscribe, leave comments, all the things that makes YouTube think, boy, this show's popular and more people should see it. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Uh, thanks for tuning in with us today on a Wednesday. Jason Nichols, what do you have going on today, sir? So today I want to talk about something that I'm sure no American is tired of talking about, and that's COVID-19. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now with COVID. Uh, it looks like the Biden administration is going to miss its benchmark, which was 70% of Americans vaccinated by Independence Day by July 4th. Right. doesn't look like that's going to happen. Only about 66% of Americans are vaccinated thus far. Um, but right now we've got something that's really scary coming out of India, and that is the Delta variant. There are a couple mm -hmm. other variants. There's the Gamma variant, which I believe came from Brazil, uh, but is believed to be less transmissible, and you won't get quite as sick as this uh, Delta variant. And there's also a Kappa variant, which also came from India. But I think what public health experts are most concerned about right now is the Delta variant. And they're most concerned about certain states, particularly states throughout the South, uh, the Deep South, Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi. They have the lowest vaccination rates mm -hmm. uh, and vaccination is supposed to protect you from all of this. It came out that Pfizer and AstraZeneca definitely protect you. I believe Moderna does as well, but I didn't necessarily see the evidence for that. But your vaccination is supposed to protect you. And a lot of these uh, public health officials are coming out. But because there's so much mistrust, and you and I have discussed this at length, so right. much mistrust of the experts uh, because they didn't know what they were facing in the very beginning. And there's so much you know, distraction around uh, other issues concerning COVID-19 that people aren't getting vaccinated it puts them in danger. And there's evidence that states that have high vaccination rates have, low, have lowered their hospitalization rates. Makes sense. States that have lower vaccination rates, in some cases, like in Missouri, their hospitalizations are actually rising. So uh, I guess I just want to, to ask you, uh, what do you think we need to do in order to get Americans vaccinated, should they be vaccinated? Um, and should they have to show proof of vaccination? At my university, in order to come back on campus, mm -hmm. you have to be, at least for faculty, I'm not sure for students. And honestly, the problematic demographic right now is young adults. It's people in their early 20s. Um, yeah. But, you know, in order to, to come back to work, which I'm not in a rush to do, but in order to come back to work, you have to show proof of vaccination. And uh, I'm sure that at some point, I don't know at the University of Maryland, but at some places that's gonna be challenged. I'm sure it's gonna go to court. You know, I'd, I'd bet, you know, a good amount of change on that. Um, and I'm wondering what you think about having to show proof of vaccination to go back to work or to go right. to certain places. And what you think about, uh, how Americans should protect themselves from these new variants of COVID. 
Amen. All right. So a lot of questions. Let me see if I can quickly <laughs> unpack them um, for you. So uh, the what they're calling the Delta variant, or what we would have referred to as the Indian variant before, now Delta variant because of the World Health Organization changing the naming guidelines to make them consistent. Um, yeah, it is all over the place, and there are concerns globally about it. Here's the nice thing for us, and you said it a moment ago, that American vaccines seem to be very effective against it. Uh, and I talked to uh, a, a uh, doctor this this week, a public health expert, Dr. Monica Gandhi, who was warning, hey, don't freak out. If you're seeing news reports, headlines right now, the Delta variant set to overtake everything. Stop getting panicked about that. We've seen a lot of success from the vaccines in the United States at putting down all of the variants, including the Delta variant. So that's really good news. Uh, and, and another sign that the American vaccines in particular are a real success. They're just a complete miracle, I think. Um, each of them, especially the Pfizer vaccine, but all of them, because, you know, when we talk about efficacy rates, right, like the Pfizer's in the 90s, you know, the Johnson and Johnson down in the 70s, what that number refers to when they say, when they say, well, it's, it's got a 74% efficacy rate, that number just refers to whether or not it stops you from getting the infection. But there's something else that's really important about vaccines and the role that they play is that they stop severe outcomes and they stop hospitalizations and they stop deaths. Absolutely. And those numbers are in the 100% range for all of the American vaccines. So that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Now, now, meanwhile, like look at the rest of the planet. Look at like countries like Brazil, Chile, the Seychelles. There's stories that are coming out in the last 24 hours that are really nerve wracking about the, the way that these variants are hitting those countries because the Chinese vaccine which serviced all of the countries I just mentioned is completely ineffective or almost completely ineffective. It, it served its purpose. It was working kind of on the original variant, on the, the original novel coronavirus. But beyond that, it's not been that successful. Hospitalizations are going up meaningfully. The, the infections are going up by big numbers in all of those countries. And they're all panicking. And the reality is, they vaccinated most of their population. You're talking 60, 70% of people have been inoculated taking the Chinese vaccine. So there's another important comparison. Look how good the US vaccines are and why so many people want them all over the planet now versus the, what China produced, which is crap. That's just, that's just true. It's just crap relative to what the United States made. Um, I, I, my view on this has always been vulnerable first. They're the most important, and we should place our emphasis there. Um, and that includes anybody who's vulnerable. If you've got one of the big comorbidities, especially if you're older and you're overweight, those are the big things. Get vaccinated, baby. Now, am I for personal liberty? Totally, 100%. And in fact, one of the areas here that I've been really disappointed in our federal government in, among many, is the fact that nobody talks about natural immunity. Nobody, not with people do in public, but not inside the CDC. They don't, there's no, if you went to the CDC website right now to find guidance on, hey, I had COVID and recovered, what can I safely do? There is no website for that. There is no information about that. But the science on that is actually pretty good. The available science shows that prior infection confers really impressive immunity and expansive immunity in terms of fighting back on these variants. Um, it's, so, an important, it's an important thing that I, I think when we talk about like, well, not enough people are vaccinated in any particular state. Okay, but what percentage of the population has antibodies or measurable T cell immunity 
for us, like we need to just do surveys like this, population surveys to figure out how much natural immunity is out there. And so that helps us make better decisions on whether or not we should panic about people not getting vaccinated. So what I, what I've seen about um, so and again you raised a whole lot of a lot yep. of questions and answers to to my questions. Now, first thing I will say is that there are, as I said before, there are two variants out of India. So calling it the India variant wouldn't be satisfactory when you have the Delta and the Gamma. Uh, give me the, the give me the Delta. city. Give me the city. I want the city. Yeah, the city can be fun. <laughs> Just like we do that, we name it after we you know uh, in the past. Yeah, after cities or regions like the only the only reason I brought that up, Jason, by the way, is 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 obviously not not pushing back on you. I'm pushing back on the World Health Organization because the WHO was really hypocritical throughout the pandemic because it because originally everybody was sort of agreeing to call it the Wuhan coronavirus. And then what ended up happening was the World Health Organization, because, first of all, they are in the pocket of China. There is no question here about this. Dr. Tedros, who runs the World Health Organization, was placed there by the Chinese government. They have had a lot of fealty towards the Chinese positions in the pandemic, and that was a big problem at the beginning of the pandemic. Remember when they wouldn't communicate that there was human-to-human transmission, even though Taiwan had alerted the World Health Organization to that, they didn't say that out loud because they were following the pressure they were receiving from the Communist Party of China. So when the World Health Organization eventually comes out and they're like, stop calling it the Wuhan coronavirus, that's racist. That was one of the positions they took, which is, I think, completely absurd. Well, no, I think they were saying China virus, right? I mean, Wuhan, that, that's a region just like Ebola is a region. There are lots of regions that, are, that things are named after. But when you start calling it China or Chinese virus, um, I think that's where people started to get a little worried because unfortunately, uh, around the world, people associate all East Asian people with China and with Chinese. And then you get some of the, the backlash against uh, the Chinese diaspora and the Asian diaspora broadly, the East Asian di- diaspora. South well, so, so I, I, can appreciate, I can appreciate concerns. My, my issue, though, was that you had, you had Communist Party members who were on social media advancing this line, and the World Health Organization went with it because China is not looking... China, do you think China cares about racism? Like China is one of the most racist countries on the planet. What the reason China they don't care about racism against them? <laughs> you know, there's lots of racist no. countries and racist people. Much more importantly, much more importantly than much more importantly than racism. Racism is a small scale issue as far as the Communist Party is concerned. They want to avoid scrutiny. So there's a reason they don't want people saying Wuhan or China virus. They don't want people to think it came from there. And the last thing they need people to do is scrutinize them as a country. So that's how the pandemic starts. And the reason I mentioned the World Health Organization, their hypocrisy is because as each of the variants started arriving, when you got the UK variant and the South Africa variant and the India variant, when those things started arriving, WHO officials were referring to those variants by the names of those countries. And then people started noticing, wait a second. At the beginning of the pandemic, you forbade the use of the phrase China virus, but now it's the South Africa variant. Now it's the UK variant. So they resolved this obvious hypocrisy by switching to the Greek alphabet. That's that's what ended up happening. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I don't uh, you know, I don't have a problem with with that switch. I also think that in, in an odd way, there is a difference between China, like I said, China, for some reason, in the public imagination, because and partially not out of, you know, racism, more out of, you know, not out of hateful racism or anything like that, more out of ignorance. 
I think many people associate China with, with the entirety of East Asia. So it's different than saying, for example, the UK. No one associates all of Europe or all of the European diaspora, which would include the United States, Australia, parts of Latin America. No one would include, no one would think UK variant and think all European descendants. But when you start saying China for some reason, and you know, it, it, it's out of ignorance, I think people start to associate that with the entire East Asian diaspora. I'm sure there's some of that. Yeah. And there's a lot, but there, and there's a lot of assumptions built in into that assessment. I, yeah. there's, there's also, you know, like history has demonstrated that like, we've been able to do this without any meaningful problem. Like the idea, like referring to Middle East respiratory syndrome, MERS and all of the, I mean, yeah. the millions of viruses that we've referred to by the generic regions they come from or the specific countries they come from. It is, it's just been something we've always done. And I realize you know, I realize we, we've taken this a little far afield from where you wanted to start all of this, <laughs> the concern okay. about the vaccines. But um, I but do you're right about it, the Chinese vaccine, that it was not what yeah. it, like it, it is hurting those countries like Chile and, and, and others. You're absolutely correct. I'm not I'm only talking about the Chinese diaspora and understanding why the WHO may have made that decision to kind of change its naming for these variants. But Definitely, I'm not cabin for the Chinese. It, well, let me let it, me let me it's integrate two topics then that we're we're talking about right now: the World Health Organization and vaccination rates in the United States. Um, the WHO this week just came out with some guidance that they want everybody to put the brakes on vaccinating children. It's kind of a big deal. The WHO would say that, and this is in response to um, some incidents of increased heart swelling. Again, it's a pretty rare event, but it, it's happening to um, children around the planet at a higher rate than would normally happen in nature, right? That they would naturally experience. Heart swelling is going up, it's called myocarditis. And it's going up and in some cases, children are dying after they receive the second dose of the vaccines. So the World Health Organization this week says, okay, stop with that until we have more of a chance to assess all of this. The CDC was supposed to have an emergency meeting on Friday of last week, but because Juneteenth became a federal holiday on Thursday, they decided to delay the meeting until this week, which is among the most preposterous things I've ever heard. Well, that's actually, there's a lot of preposterous things I've heard of in the government, but that's one of them. Wait, is an emergency meeting to assess heart swelling? You can't take off for Juneteenth. I'm sorry, as much as you want to honor the holiday, maintain your commitments, do the emergency meeting. But they, they didn't. Um, the stories like that, obviously, place well within context, the rarity of something like that happening. Is it any wonder, though, when a story like that gets out and the World Health Organization says, hey, tap the brakes on the vaccinations for children, that there is some skepticism. People do get worried about safety and they do become resistant to going out and saying, OK, go ahead and jab me. All right. So I, I think, again, th there's a couple of things that I, that I want to go to. Uh, I think also Brazil, just just really quickly to talk about some of the areas that you talked about. Brazil is struggling yes. in part because of ineffective leadership. Bolsonaro didn't take the virus seriously. Then he started believing in things like hydroxychloroquine and all these other you know, uh, miracle cures that aren't effective, particularly in, in people who aren't on their deathbed and people start spreading it and then you have all these issues. Um, so I think that there, there are lots of factors with some of those countries in South America. Right. But now, they were, in I, but, but, of, in, but in particular, Brazil was using the Chinese vaccine. 
That was the, right. that yeah, was one of the they, I mean, they, they were using the, the Chinese vaccine. They used other vaccines as well. It wasn't just the Chinese vaccine. It wasn't like they had an exclusive deal with China. I know, but they, they were using many different vaccines and they're still experiencing this because of ineffective leadership. But I, I will say this um, about what you were talking about, the WHO saying, hey, let's take a second with vaccinations of children. Right. Um, and of course, the United States, we have, um, you know, the vaccine is available for any child over 12 right mm -hmm. now or any person over 12 right now. Uh, I don't think, at least from what I've seen, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm 100% willing to be corrected here, that we have had the same experience with children in terms of them experiencing the heart swelling issue here in the United States. What we have had, though, is children getting COVID and getting sick. So it is it, you know, and, and I think to blame it on Juneteenth is a little much. Like, well, they should have had an emergency meeting. If you have an emergency meeting, do you come in, you know, on, on holidays, including Christmas, yes. or including Easter? Sure. Yes. I agree with that. I just think that in the United States, they were saying, we haven't necessarily seen this. But they have. This is why the CDC, this. but this is why the CDC was having the emergency meeting. This is, I mean, that's precisely so they were what. seeing it in the United States, not in other countries. Because yeah, in my fact, my understanding I'm, was, you know, this was happening outside of the United States. Israel was a big area that this was occurring. Right. Um, so, you know, so, and, and they were trying to do this as a preventative measure. And so that this doesn't happen in the United States and we get caught off guard. We stopped vaccinations. You remember when we stopped it for, I think, the six women who had blood clots? I yes, think. that was the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Yeah, we stopped the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because, like, I believe six women had blood clots out of, what is it? I think at the time, like, seven or 17 million. I believe it was at least seven million yeah. people had been vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson. And six people experienced um, experienced side effects. And the issue that I have is the media blew that up. Of course, they were correct to stop it and be like, wait, let's just make sure that everything's okay. But right. the way the media went with that was uh, the media outside of, of course, uh, Vincent Jason Save the Nation, subscribe and like. The media outside of us when and all they what they did was make it seem like oh you're you know you're gonna die from a vaccine when you have a much higher chance of dying of covid one yeah. of the things that's being warned about right now is that we're gonna get to three thousand deaths again we're at lower around two thousand or lower um a day from from covid uh whereas in you know I think, or was it 3,000 a week or no, 3,000 a day. We got to uh, 24,000 deaths a day in January, in early January, we were at about 24,000 deaths. So we're not going to get to that point with this Delta variant, but we are going to get. That has to be a week. That has um, to be a week because we're at 600,000 deaths right now. So if it was 24,000 deaths a day, we'd be at nearly 100,000 deaths. Let me. Uh, me uh, 100,000 deaths yeah. over four days. So what you're referring to probably is a week. I just, if I just had to. Yeah, guess. I'm sorry. I, it, it, it's, a, it's probably a week. You're right. You're right. It's probably a week. Um, so I could be getting, you know, my numbers mixed up. I apologize. That's okay. No, I'm just thinking it through because right now in the United States, we just crossed the 600,000 death mark, which is, which is 
unbelievable. That's the yeah. population of Boston, or that's the population of Baltimore yes. that, that has died. Like an entire city, Amazing. entire major city wiped out within 18 months. That's absolutely insane. Um, and, you know, some of these other countries are going to, I think, are going to surpass us because we vaccinated and we vaccinated effectively. Right. Some of them have not vaccinated or have not vaccinated effectively. I will say this, though. And I apologize for my numbers. Um, I have to go back and, and look at them. But um, I will say that I think that if we don't start marketing somehow, I, I'm not sure how we're going to get over the hump, but young, healthy adults are not getting vaccinated right now. They are the problematic demographic. And it is true that they are less likely to die, just like children. I mean, we're talking about, you know, this vaccine issue. They're less likely to die from the vaccine or the virus, but they are carriers, you know, and they can spread it to vulnerable populations particularly in the states where nobody's getting the vaccine, or not nobody, but very few people are getting the vaccine, like I said, in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. And so that's my worry about when people are having all of these conversations about vaccines and pontificating about whether you should get the vaccine, whether it's, you know, it's going to be effective, whether it's going to have side effects later in life. You know, I think we're we're missing the mark here. We really need to be marketing vaccination right now. And half of the people who are arguing against vaccinations, the people who are anti-vax, half of them have a tetanus shot. They get all kinds of vaccinations, but for some reason, they are holding out on this one. And I think it goes back to distrust of the government. Yes. Um, and I don't. I'm not exactly sure how we restore that you know, uh, particularly so, so polarized. Yeah. So um, one on the data that you were referring to a moment ago, I just pulled it up. Um, the deaths per day in January, if you look at the chart, were bouncing anywhere between around three and 4,000 deaths a day. So the number you cited, 24,000, that makes sense over the course of, say, a week. Yeah, um, uh, and um, on, on the issue of government trust, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's the centerpiece of why you are seeing hesitancy. And so how do we resolve that? The answer to that is public health officials need to act like in terms of being giving medical advice, need to give medical advice the way that your personal doctor would. So if I go to my doctor and they recommend a medication for me or a vaccine for that matter, if I ask the following question, hey, what kind of side effects might come with this? Or like, are there any downsides? Like, is there anything I should be on the guard for? Your doctor will very honestly, if they're a good doctor, if they're like a normal doctor, they will very honestly assess everything that they know. Well, there are some rare cases of this. It would look like kind of like what we see when we see pharmaceutical commercials because it's required by law, but you see all the side effects that are listed. Side effects include. And then like at the end, it's like, wait, death is included in this uh, in this nasal you know medication? Like what? And of course, it's a small scale side effect, but it's acknowledged by law when it's presented in advertising, it has to be. So let me, you know, let me just out and clarify my numbers here. So I pulled uh -huh. up the article that, that I, I got that from. Yeah. Um, so uh, it essentially says that uh, can result in COVID-19 bouncing back from summer lows to cause more than 3000 deaths per week 
at various points during the fall and winter. So it's 20, uh, uh, 3,000 deaths per week. That's about 1,000 more COVID-19 deaths than the U.S. has seen over the past week. Right. Though still far below the peak of 24,000 deaths during the second week of January. There you go. So it was a week um, right. where so that occurred. And okay. High was 24,000, and that was the second week in January. Yeah. So, yeah sorry about that. You know, that's I, okay. I like to give, I'm a numbers person, even though I'm, you know, I'm not like a, a mathematician or anything. I really <laughs> do like numbers uh, and statistics. You know, I am, you know, a trained in part as a social scientist. So I like that kind of stuff. So it, yeah. it, it irks me when I get my numbers wrong. Man's so, data, the, the man is data driven. Okay. Right. So, so, but, uh, but on this issue of, um, I'm trying to remember where I am now, uh, on the issue of the vaccines and, uh, and what's happening. Where am I? Where did you leave me? You just, you just got so, me. I, I think I left you uh, at, you know, you were talking about personal liberty. Oh yeah, government trust, government trust. Government trust. So when you talk to your doctor, your doctor tells you the side effects, right? You ask them, hey, what are, what are the downsides? They let you know. You watch the commercials, they dictate it right up front because it's mandated by law. They've got to tell you the side effects. What has happened here with the public health messaging in the pandemic has been one of the most patronizing exercises in public health that we've ever seen. So everything like, you know, like you have Governor Larry Hogan in Maryland, where you are, like shut up and wear the damn mask. I mean, one of the ads that he was literally running during the during the pandemic is wear the damn mask. That's what he said during the thing. And it kind of, I always thought of that ad as like kind of perfectly encapsulated the way the attitude of government officials broadly, which is like, it wasn't really information driven. It was a lot of like, we're all in this together. Wear the mask, social distance, get the vaccine without a lot of, that's the kind of conversation that you have in a classroom full of children rather than the kind of conversation that you have with adults when you're trying to convince them, like you and I would have, where we're trying to convince each other of who's right and, and why we're right and bring evidence to bear to demonstrate that. Your, well, doctor, I, your doctor does when you talk to your doctor. And so why can't public health officials have that same attitude? And here's why that's so important, Jason, mm -hmm. is because if they act in that way, where they admit what they don't know and they say what they do and they say, here's, here's why we believe this, and what we've learned about it, if that's the attitude that they take, people will trust them more because they say, okay, you're putting it all on the table. I trust that. I respect that. Well, the, the, the problem with COVID was the fact that it got politicized and mask yeah. wearing became a political partisan issue. And so when Governor Hogan, who I usually will not defend, but Governor Hogan, what he was trying to do, particularly as a, you know, a purple Republican, mm -hmm. a moderate Republican, was trying to depoliticize mask wearing and trying to say, look, you know, I know what you're hearing from certain people in our government. Just wear the mask. You know, it, it's not like a mask. I'm, I'm not sure if a mask killed anybody, but I can certainly tell you that COVID has killed 600,000 people in 18 months, has literally, like we said, wiped an American city, a major American city, like the largest city in the state of Maryland, okay, which is 600,000 people off yep. the map. So mm -hmm. I think it was his voice was kind of important at that time, particularly as someone who people 
see as a Republican that many conservative Democrats and moderate Democrats trust and many people on the right trust. He had to come out. It would have been very disappointing for him not to say, look, in the interest of public health and public safety, please wear a mask. And let's be honest about where Larry Hogan is governor. We are in the state, I am in the state of Maryland. Yes. One of the most vulnerable cities that actually came out of this relatively okay is Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore has public health issues despite having one of the, or probably the best hospital in the entire nation mm -hmm. is in Baltimore City. The best medical researchers in the world. Johns Hopkins. Right. Are, are right there in East Baltimore. But the community around Hopkins, the part that they haven't bought up and gentrified, the community surrounding Johns Hopkins is one of the most desperate communities and one of the most vulnerable communities to things like an airborne virus. Mm -hmm. So rather than seeing massive death in his own, you know, in the city that he, he governs and in other parts of, of the state that are yeah. working class, he had to come out and say that. And it, trust me, it pains me to defend Governor Hogan. I just but think that- I think I, what he did there was was the right thing. And, but and I'm using it as- I'm using the tone of it, the tone of it though as the example, which is to say that like it was one of many times in which um, that government officials were patronizing the public, and I and I really have to say that one of the reasons I hate personal I hate being personally patronized. I'm sure you do too. Of course. Um, but also, like one of the reasons why I get really disappointed in patronizing government officials is like the entire point of our system is that the voters are ultimately in charge, aren't they? And so, like. You can't actually have a functioning country where you you are you're saying you're acknowledging out loud, you know, voters are imbeciles. Wait, what? I mean, the whole system is predicated on their leadership. So you you should treat them like they actually are in charge, that they are the adults. Uh, and like I'll give you another example of late when it was really clear that there was no transmission going on outside of any measurable amount going on outside after our government officials were all vaccinated. And by the way, they rushed to get vaccinated first in their positions of privilege. Um, members of Congress getting vaccinated immediately, people in their 30s getting vaccinated immediately. And meanwhile, tons of old people across the country not yet vaccinated. After they did that, they continued to wear masks outdoors as if the vaccine itself didn't work. They wore it indoors too, but it's just much more egregious outdoors considering even among non-vaccinated people, there wasn't meaningful spread outside. And this was a detail that was known for some time. And it wasn't until the New York Times decided to write an article to that effect and said that out loud that the Biden administration finally decided to change because once you lose the New York Times, okay, now this, now's the time. Like our friends are not as impressed by us anymore. They, they're disagreeing. That was nuts. And it's the kind of thing that decreases public trust, I think, Jason. It's like, when, when the government can't admit the good, it can't admit the obvious, even though everybody knows it. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I don't trust you. Again, it's like, and, and you and I have discussed this, this is modeling best practices. And now I think we're at a point in vaccinations where we're almost at the, the bar that they set, you know, and we agree that, that the bar has moved several times, but we're almost at, you know, 66% 
uh, of Americans are vaccinated. And if you are vaccinated, you can go outside. But to me, it would show all kinds of privilege if it's like, well, the vaccine isn't available to you yet, but I'm going to take off my mask and I'm going to live free because I'm vaccinated and I'm a member of Congress. That actually would piss me off more. It's like I've waited and, you know, I'm waiting weeks to get vaccinated. Some people haven't had the vaccine available, you know, because of whatever reason until April or so. Yeah. And you, member of Congress who got it in February, are going to go and flirt around and, and with without a mask when I so have you, to wear one? I think that they're modeling best practices. No wait, so one likes that, wearing a mask, but yet you you have to do it in order to do so. But now that, you know, we know that so many people are vaccinated. Right. You want to actually say, look, this is the freedom you get with vaccination. But that's that's I my point. That's a good thing. But Jason, that's my point. That's what those early people who got vaccinated. The whole point they told us was because they were trying to show us how safe the vaccine was. And how, that's the that's by the way, that's the public rationale that they used. Now, regardless, I, I actually I always assume bad faith on the part of a lot of these officials. I'm like, of course, you got the vaccine first. Like and like, meanwhile, my grandma doesn't have it yet. You know that at that time, right, right. and and that's insane. And I, I I sort of I I agree with you on the elitism there, and and how how that would look if they take the masks off. I I basically agree with you on the premise. But here's the issue: at that moment earlier this year, when they were getting those vaccines and still wearing the masks needlessly, the message that they were sending to the public was that they didn't think the vaccines provided meaningful protection. And that is the wrong. So if you're in the in the game, if you're in the world where you're like, hey, look, we need to convey a message. The message you can you should convey is the success of the vaccines. They should have taken the masks off in order to demonstrate. Yeah, guess what's waiting for you on the other side, buddy? As soon as that vaccine is available to you, come on in. The water's fine. Well, I guess, again, it, it, it comes down to perspective here. Um, what I, I the, the interesting thing to me is that. Somebody would have been offended either way. Right. <laughs> Someone who looked at it like me would have been offended if, if they took the mask off early and I still had to wear one. And because they were, you know, it was available to them because of their position, they, you know, uh, took the privilege of taking their mask off. That would frustrate me. The other thing is you want people to wear masks in public places, uh, you know, and not people. I have friends. I have a friend who jokes about it all the time. He's an anti-vaxxer. And you know, he jokes about the fact, you know, that uh, on social media, hey, I'm walking around pretending I'm fully vaccinated and, you know, he's not wearing a mask and all these kinds of things. And, you know, honestly, he's a vulnerable guy, too. I, I would I've tried to tell him to, to get vaccinated or wear a mask. He's not hearing me. But either way, I think one way or the other, people are going to be offended. And that's something we need to fix culturally uh, is to find a way <laughs> to actually not only trust our government to do the right thing, but, but also not to get offended by everything. Um, and I wanna use that just as a transition really quickly. Um, and we'll, we'll come back and talk a little bit um, about voting and these voting bills. So right now we're seeing, um, we just saw that Congress just was deadlocked and that there's going to be a filibuster on the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And I kind of want to get your reaction to that. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of different things. I was actually mm -hmm. on 
Fox the other day with Will Kane. Um, and Will Kane, honestly, I, I really were, you know, I almost wanted to change the conversation to sports because, you know, Will Kane, I always think of him as a sports guy. Yeah. But, you know, he, he made some interesting points that I completely disagree with um, <laughs> about the, you know, about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and about um, how he, you know, he and others and Fox is kind of pushing this line that, um, that Democrats are trying to cook the books with, with, uh, you know, voting rights acts and, and trying to, you know, change our voting system when actually that's happening at the local level. Um, but I wanted to get your reaction to, to the way that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act shook out. He objected to calling it the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, <laughs> like, which I don't understand, but he, you know, Will Kane you know, uh, objected to uh, calling it the, the Voting Rights Act. And also, really quickly, I want to give a shout out to somebody who I would never give a shout out to. And that's Dan Bongino. Because Dan Bongino did something that I think all cable news hosts should do and that we will do with any of our guests. And that is, he just sent me a thank you for coming on his show. And I'm getting to a point now where I think because we have our own show, I don't need any cable news. So if your host can't take five minutes to send me, hey, thanks for coming on, then I can't take five minutes to do a segment on their show. Just putting it out there. Wow. But, uh, I wanted to get your your uh, point of view. Some people I have a prior relationship with, you know, Harris Faulkner, Cavuto, a couple other people. But anyway. Yeah. Um, wanted to get your reaction real quick. Um, I, I think they should send you letters. And, and, and notes. Yes, I agree. Thank you. I agree. You too, as well. They should say thank you. you. Oh, you want my reaction? I'm sorry. Oh, to the voting bill. Um, oh, um, so let me make sure I got this right. The John Lewis vote. What are you? What are you calling it? The John Lewis what bill? Uh, voting Rights Act. The the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Is this Senate Bill One that you're referring to? Is that the same piece of legislation? Yes. Okay. It's so HR One. And then there's the For the People Act, which is HR four, or I may have those two mixed up. But okay, so HR one so, and HR four. But then, at its core, at its core, what this is all really, one. really about is this gigantic sweeping piece of legislation that would change voting laws around the nation, um, and and give and give the federal government uh, extensive control over what those laws look like. Well, that that's not what the the John Lewis Act would do. The John Lewis Act only restores old parts of the Voting Rights Act that were struck down oh. by Shelby County versus Holder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, it would add, I see what you're saying. So it's the not John Lewis Act. It's just bringing something back that, that was in place between 1965 and 2013. Right, so what you're referring to, I got it, I got it. So that, now, that now, bill- For the People Act is a little more, a little uh, wide ranging and a, and a little bigger. If I if I I think I have this right, HR one is the For the People Act, and that's the that's the voting overhaul. S Senate Bill one is also the voter voting hall. I don't know if they're calling it the For the People Act, but again, it's the same thing. It's the companion legislation to HR one, and that was what yesterday they decided to filibuster. Um, in this, the Republicans did. Now HR four, if the if you've got the numbers right here, that's the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and what that refers to is making it so that the Justice Department will once again have to offer preclearance to any law that's passed that affects elections in the states 
that were chosen by the Voting Rights Act to say, okay, any one of you states, if you change your election laws, the federal government gets to decide whether or not that change goes through. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So um, I think it, as, as a generic statement on that particular thing, I think that that doesn't appreciate how different America is now in 2021 than it was in 1965. Uh, I think the idea that the federal government, it would perpetually um, have veto power over the decisions of members of a state doesn't make any sense in a world where those states are entitled to improve, definitely, as they have, definitely, since 1965. Uh, And also, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act in the 60s were some of the most extraordinary pieces of legislation that were ever passed by the United States of America. And it was done for a really specific purpose. It was done to redress uh, dramatic, like real racism within the systems of the United States, appropriately so. But does that mean that we should continue to have that in, in perpetuity? The Supreme Court said no, they, they, they shut it down. And now they're trying to, and now Democrats would like to bring that back. I think that's a bad idea. I think that- here's, so um, here's the thing. Uh, and, and you are right, Section 4B uh, were the prerequisites for needing preclearance, uh, which, was, which was struck down uh, in Shelby County. And then Section 5 was the actual uh, need for preclearance. And here's, here's where I have an issue. Number one, we just saw Texas pass its law. They took it out, but initially they tried to curtail early voting on Sundays. Now we know, you know, and I know, uh, Sundays are a special day, or the Sunday before election day, um, because it's souls to the polls. That is an African-American practice where churches, a lot of times, bring uh, their parishioners to the church, I mean, uh, excuse me, to the polling places so they can vote. Souls to the polls is an African-American practice. And Texas wanted to find a way to curb that practice and they know that it would affect African-American turnout because number mm-hmm. one, a lot of times churches, they get buses, they find ways to get elderly people and disabled people and other people to the polls that might otherwise have a more difficult time. We know after Shelby County, what happened? They closed up to 1600 polling places, mostly in a lot of them in those states that needed preclearance many of them in the South. We know also that the conservative Supreme Court upheld racial gerrymandering in Texas um, in a case Abbott versus Perez. Um, We also know that after Shelby County in 2016, fewer African-Americans voted. Now, again, you could boil that down uh, to, you know, they didn't like either candidate, that's possible. Uh, You could talk about some of the, you know, you and I have discussed, you know, foreign interference and how they actually targeted African-Americans the most uh, in order to make them apathetic about both candidates. Um, So that could have had an effect. Um, It's not clear, but we do know that once they started closing polling places that were largely in people in areas uh, predominantly that had people of color, in the states that previously needed preclearance, the next upcoming big election, fewer black people voted. Now, 
more black people voted in 2020 than ever before in some of those states. Why? Because we expanded the ability to vote in many different ways. So disabled people were enabled, say, in Texas with drive-through voting. Uh, you had mail-in voting. You had drop boxes all over the place. But wait, People wait. People were allowed or, or given more opportunities to vote. Yeah. And it was, according to our uh, national security and intelligence uh, experts, it was the largest and most secure election in American history. Well, wait, Still, we wait. have 14 states that passed 22 new laws that restrict yeah. vote, including 16 uh, mail-in voting restrictions passed in 12 states, all because one guy didn't like the result. Yeah, and a lot of those laws are actually perfectly fine and good, and they're not going to decrease ballot access at all. I'm going to that. But like in Georgia, for instance, like requiring voter ID and including it in the mail-in ballots is, is only going to improve the sanctity of the vote. It's not going to decrease it at all. Okay, and, can I push back on that? You can, but let me just add one stipulation. Push back on two things because I want to ask one other thing related to something you just said. You said in 2016 that there were laws instituted now that states no longer had to go to preclearance that had the effect of black pe- fewer black people voted because there were fewer polling places in places that previously had preclearance. But isn't it true that the black vote dropped anyway in 2016 because Hillary Clinton was like a totally like unenthusiastic candidate among black voters. And in fact, Donald Trump picked up uh, several percentage points among black voters from no, where Mitt Romney well, this, was four years prior. This, uh, the second part, I think it's a little different. Number one, um, Mitt Romney was running against uh, Barack Obama, Barack Obama, who was yeah. incredibly popular in many African-American communities. So I think that that's a little bit different than Hillary Clinton, who did not have the same popularity. Donald Trump, uh, I, I wouldn't say he, I think it's 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 almost wrong to say that he picked up a few votes more than to say Hillary Clinton lost a few votes because number one, uh, African-Americans didn't have the same trust in her with good reason that they had in Barack Obama. Right. Um, I guess the so point that, I'm making- That is true, but- The but point I'm asking- the, 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 the attrition, the, the yeah. amount of people who did not vote, you know, rose or did not have, in many cases, the access or opportunity. But for some reason, more of those people voted in 2020 because we expanded the opportunity to vote. So again, I don't think it's that people didn't necessarily didn't want to vote. We made it easier for them to vote in 2020. Also, you know, of course, uh, the the ability, some of the laws that were passed that allowed uh, felons to to regain their their uh, voting rights and other things. But the point I want to push back on, yeah, is that the new provisions. I mean, there were I think a lot of people on the left were screaming about the wrong things, and I think that it would have had broader appeal against these voting laws if we focused on the right parts of it. Mm-hmm. So for example, the the not being able to pass out water. I mean, okay, I mean, I get it because black people uh, on average wait 45 minutes, uh, excuse me, 45, 45% longer uh, than white people to vote. That's a fact. 
So I, I get it. You know, someone might want some water. I mean, it, it's usually in November, so it ain't that hot out. I mean, I, you know. Well, also think, that that particular thing was predicated on a myth about what the law did. So right. there's no nobody's I don't prevented. Think that that's a, you know, but my point is that that yeah. that wasn't a big issue. That's my right. Point. Right. I think there's a there's a provision in a lot of these states, like in Texas, that make it easier for judges to overturn elections. You know, and void the outcome uh, if the number if they think that there's a certain number of fraudulent votes, even mm -hmm. if they can't prove it, they can void an election. Now, why should Republicans, why should people who are watching a Daily Caller podcast, why should they be concerned about it? Because Joe Biden has 46 vacancies on the courts. He's already appointed 24 judges. Five of them have been confirmed. Right. He won't have as many as Trump did. Trump, I think, had 234. That's the second most in history to, I believe, Carter. Um, but he's going to have a lot of judges. This could be a situation where Republican voters vote one way, turn out, win an election, and it goes before some Democrat somewhere. Yeah you know, that you don't like, some Jason Nichols goes and says, I think that these were fraudulent votes. Right. I had some poll watchers that are now have, you know, a whole lot more access and can take pictures and all that kind of stuff. I believe that there were fraudulent votes in this rural county. And I believe that that affected the outcome of this race. And some Democratic judge is going to say, you know what? I think Jason Nichols is right. Right. Yeah. I would avoid that election. You're making now, a I, that is the most undemocratic. Takes us back literally to you know the King of England. Uh, that is the scariest thing for both sides. Republicans should be outraged by right. that. Right. Especially, Democrats especially if, if judges, especially if judges abuse their powers. So then you're making a really good case for keeping the filibuster in place in the Senate, by the way. Like the, the argument you just made is like, hey, imagine if the shoe's on the other foot. And like, man, this guy's like completely pro filibuster now. This no, is no, wild. No, I think that's different. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the filibuster is completely different. Number one, I want uh, legislation and legislators to uh -huh. be able to do their job. And it's just like the filibuster, when you have someone... You know, for example, when when, uh, when Obama was elected, there was that famous Republican meeting where they said, how are we going to make him a one-term president? How are we going to make sure he fails? You know, same thing, you know, uh, there were people out there who would vote against anything, either Obama or Trump or whomever they did. Mitch McConnell has made it clear I want to stop Biden's agenda. Mm -hmm. Even things that are good, you know what I mean? Like infrastructure. He wants to stop anything because he wants to say Joe Biden was a no uh, was a do nothing president. He was a lame duck president. You know, and I think that that is dangerous for our democracy. People send people to Washington for them to do work, not to stand on the on the Senate floor and filibuster everything that goes through. 
if it's not good, if it's not a good law, if it's not beneficial, yeah. they vote people out and then you get new laws and reversal of laws. That's but true. You can't but sit there and have it be a stalemate and nothing gets done. That's my problem with the filibuster on yeah. the other side. I agree, but there's there's a risk of overcorrecting. And overcorrecting means making a majority vote the way that the Senate operates on all of its business, for sure. Because then the Senate becomes the House of Representatives. It becomes deeply temperamental. And then laws uh, flip at a moment's notice. When I say a moment's notice, just every time control of the Congress flips. Uh, that's, that is not a good thing for the United States. And actually, the whole reason the Senate is so fundamentally different is because it's designed to protect minority rights in the United States Congress. So when you have people who are underrepresented in the House of Representatives by virtue of their populations, the United States Senate serves as a counterbalance to that. It makes sure that minority opinions are well represented. It's the reason why every state gets two senators, no matter their size. And the same is true of, I know you know all this, but I'm just saying this uh, to our our dear audience. And the same is true uh, when it comes to the fundamentals of why the filibuster is actually a rather important tool. It enables the minority to have some power over what actually gets advanced. It forces the majority to reach compromise positions that enable more than 60 senators to get together to rally around a piece of legislation. It has it has a slowing effect on legislation out of the Congress. And and you can argue, well, it's too slow. Yeah, and there's too much partisan. Slow. There's too much partisanship and there's kind of slow. Yeah. So so getting control of that means really what what needs to be addressed is partisanship, like hardcore partisanship and also just fundamentally corruption. That's the other part that needs to be addressed. And those don't get addressed with the filibuster. Those problems only get accelerated when you have majority voting. Like if you switch the Senate to a no filibuster environment where it's just 51 votes to pass things, you think corruption and partisanship are going to go away? Oh, no. They're going to advance, which is why we should address those. Forget the filibuster. The filibuster is a good tool. Address those other fundamentals. That's how you fix the country. Well, no, I, I well, we agree that, um, and one of the reasons we're doing this show, Vince and Jason Save the Nation, having two perspectives, and for us to be able to talk to one another and yeah. actually uh, reach across the aisle and not necessarily punch each other in the face every time. <laughs> you know, I just can't reach you. That's that's the big problem, but. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we do that is because we want to get past that. You know, yes. we want for people to actually have conversations, discuss things, find where they agree, find where they, they disagree. But what we're doing, what we see now, and because the White House and we, we know the expansive powers of the White House, yeah. we know that the party that is not in control of the White House And also, if they're getting beaten in the Senate and in the uh, House of Representatives, right, they are going to do whatever they can to obstruct anything because they want to have something to go back to their voters with. They want to go back to their partisan interests, go on their partisan media, which is usually elites on both sides, whether it's Fox or MSNBC, and go on there and say, look, we stopped Joe Biden. He's a communist. Or yep. we stopped Trump. He's an authoritarian. We there are times there are perverse partisanship, you know, uh, needs to happen. But there are times when, look, if you guys are going to do that, we need to pass this law. And if you want to get rid of it, then win an election. I know. You know what I mean? I know you're totally I mean, a lot of good points as always, Jason. I'm sorry. I just I have to run out the door. Right I now, know. But- 
I know you got to go. We hope you guys stick with us and come back on Friday and see us. Uh, you can always watch us on Facebook Watch. You can always watch us on YouTube or you anywhere you can find a podcast. Like, subscribe, argue with us, yeah. argue against us. Uh, and we love it. We love the fact that you guys tune in every week to or every uh, three days to uh, I totally screwed that up. But we like that <laughs> you guys are with us. We're with you. Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Peace out.